Did you know? The very God of the universe, if you have the Holy Ghost today, lives in your soul. Mary more than likely did not know all that she contained. I doubt very seriously there's any of us that did. I'd sure like to know more about it though. Than you. St. John chapter 4, verse 23. <clears throat> the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together before we approach the word today. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for being willing to come to this earth of ours, Lord. We were in such desperate need. We were so lost. And yet you were so willing to become whatever was necessary in order to bring us back to you. We know that we on this side of the veil, the dark side, we try to look up and try to comprehend and understand. And sometimes it still looks dark for us, but we know you're on the light side. And from where you're at, everything looks clear. So we pray that you would help us today, Father. Take your word once again and Break it to our hearts. May our hearts become the manger, as it were, Lord, which your word would be able to be born anew in our lives. Grant it, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. A lot of folks during this time will trade out cigarettes and vodka and whiskey and all kinds of things and they'll have their Christmas parties and be able to celebrate they're not sure why or they're not even sure what they're celebrating. To them it's many people it's just another holiday that's all. Another day off work. <clears throat> For a lot of people it's a larger credit card payment. They spend money they don't have. They swap gifts one to another. Well, I've got to get Brother Terry something because Brother Terry got me something. So. so they swap gifts. God was not interested in swapping gifts, but God wanted to give us a gift that none of us were worthy of, a gift that would change us forever. No doubt some of you have received things from people and you'll wonder, what was they thinking when they bought you that? And they'll, you'll be standing in line the day after Christmas or two days thereafter and returning it. And you'll see all these looks on people's faces as you hold up those yellow polka-dotted socks. <clears throat> but yet we're grateful today that we, by the grace of God, have a, a clearer understanding of what Christmas, as we call it, is all about. To us, it is more than just once a year. It's more than a week. It's more than just uh, buying and swapping and this and that and the other. Myself, I hate the commercialization that it's become. 
upon it. Takes away from the sacredness of it. So my advice to you would be, don't let, don't let the sacredness of Christmas be replaced by all the commercialism and all the things that's around you. But let it be a sacred time in your heart. Not just this time of the year, every day out of the year. As we look at the very picture, the epitome of <clears throat> where we are, I believe the part of the key to understanding the mystery of the Godhead is the very understanding of Melchizedek. It's more than a baby in a manger. You see, the picture transcends and goes way, way further back than Bethlehem. Today, Bethlehem, for those of you that don't know it, Bethlehem is controlled by the Palestinians. Now, if you are a Jew, you have no right, nor can you even cross the border to go in to Bethlehem. Now, that's a very sad story. I know that because we were there. Uh, <clears throat> and seeing it, the Jews are able to bring you there to the border. And then the Palestinians come and get you. And they take you into the church, the nativity, and the different things of Bethlehem. Because of the sins of the Jews, they relinquish their rights. So you hear, uh, you hear the prayers of the Muslims going on. You see minarets here and there and there. And it is a sign of transgression. So you think the very city that God chose for Christ to be born in, today a Jew cannot even go in that city because it's under Palestinian authority, complete autonomy of the Palestinians, and it was the trade uh, for peace deal that the government made in order to be able to have so-called peace. So no Jew, even if you're Christian, can be able to go inside of Bethlehem in this very day. But I'm so glad the devil can't keep us from the true Bethlehem. Now, it makes you want to, as the people of God, look and understand that we have our rights that are also at stake. And when we forfeit our rights, that Satan will do his very best to take our rights away from us. Now, you imagine how sad that it is for many of these Jews which cannot go into part of their land of, of Palestine because the autonomy is given to Palestinian control. Divided into three categories, one of them is it is the Jewish quarter only, others would be Palestinian quarter only, and then others which would be the B category are those by which can be shared. But if you are a Jew, you cannot go into certain parts of that country which by your roots goes back to your full inheritance. To me, that's what I see that Satan has done to many, many people. It is a right to be a child of God, a right to have the Holy Ghost, a right to be free, a right to enjoy the blessing of God because they have sold their birthright. They don't even understand the word freedom, which is so sad. But, you know, I believe that God is sounding a jubilee trumpet in order to help us. And you may sit here today and your rights may have formerly been forfeited by sin, unbelief, things that you've done which allowed the, the devil to take over in your life. But I believe that the jubilee trumpet can sound and bring that freedom back to you again. <clears throat> we know ultimately it will end up, of course, the Palestinian question will never be settled 
until the Battle of Armageddon and uh, America really uh, for her stand down through the years uh, through sick and sin who's been the one nation so far who has stood with Israel it may become this very thing by which the Russians will bomb us who knows why that they will be instigated to do so but we know eventually it will come to the valley of Jezreel or the valley of Megiddo where the battle of Armageddon will team up. There all the armies of the world will gather together but we know today and we're so glad that the greater picture is not just the land of Israel for the people of Israel but it is the land of Israel for the Lord Jesus and his elect. Now, they have a common saying among them, next year Jerusalem. Well, it could be that way for the bride as well. Next year Jerusalem. The true Jerusalem for the people of God. But we know that the Jews, because they rejected their Messiah, we see today then, 2,000 years later, and we see what has happened to them, that they forfeited their right. And they knew, they knew, we know that there was a blindness, a veil of blindness on their hearts, but an element of them knew uh, because Gamaliel the great teacher told them thou art a teacher come from God for we know that no man can do these things that you do without God being with them with him so this testifies what the Sanhedrin what a great majority of the people did fully comprehend and though it was not revelation they knew it merely by knowledge and seeing the vindication of the supernatural but we, we are now of course we're we're not trying to get the land of Israel in the natural sense, but to us has been restored our land, which is the revealed word of the hour. And guess what? Just as the Jews are fighting for their very existence to this day. Now, I'm not sure how much you keep up with it, uh, but yet on the Syrian side of the Golan Heights, on the northern side, Iran going in, others going in, Hezbollah, different ones that are trying to bombard them constantly and thanks to the United States of America uh, they have the Patriot Mistral system and all of that one of the brothers in the message actually helped work on that system and to be able to develop that system because of the gratitude uh, of them and the blessing of America they're able to be able to have all of these things so they have a constant onslaught uh, you know just in the last six months over 2200 uh, missiles were fired into their land well you know it kind of that, that that's bad. That's really bad. That only describes really about 30 minutes in the day of a child of God of all the ballistic missiles of the devil that tries to bombard our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, right? But thank God we don't have a patriot missile system. We've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So if you study Israel and you look at them and you'll see where they are naturally and you'll see where we are spiritually. So they've got their land back and of course up until 1948 and then up to the 67 war, then 1975, the war of Yom Kippur. Each one of those wars gave them land, but they would go in and they would take land, but all, all the time knowing when they would take it that they would not be able to keep it. But they would advance as far as they could advance in order to take as much 
much as possible, knowing they, when they come to sit at the peace table, they would have to trade off. Now, to me, that's very sad. So they would move into Egypt. They would move into Syria. They would move into Lebanon. They would move in as, and, and conquer as much as they could within a 24-hour period. But they know they're not going to be able to keep that land. But if you only get what you want initially, then when you go to settling down at the peace table, you lose what you originally want. You understand that makes sense? So that's only the military uh, thought of it. But So they would go in and take everything they could take. Then when they would settle down, they say, okay, okay, we'll, we'll move back. We'll move back. But then they've already determined we're not giving Jerusalem back. We're not giving this back. We're not giving that back. But by much pressure of the UN, they had to wind up giving much back that they didn't want to give back. Now, that is a great lesson that I believe we as the people of God can be able to understand. That Satan himself is trying to bring us to the bargaining table. Well, let me tell you right now, don't you never sit down at the table with the devil. Never. Don't you never even get in your mind that you were obligated to do so. You don't have to sit down at no table, no table with no devil to be able to swear off and make a peace agreement. We are not at peace with hell. We are at war. So I'm not giving up my baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm not giving up my revelation of the Son of Man. I'm not giving up my understanding that we needed a prophet. I thank God for a prophet, and I'm going to keep on preaching the prophet's message. Now, I know that there's folks that are leaving the message and are turning away from the message and I've contemplated it and I've looked at it and I've thought about it and I've considered it over and over again and I've got some bad news today. But the bad news is for hell. Our church, as long as I'm the pastor and in my right mind, we are a church that believes the message of Malachi 4. We believe Luke 17 30, Revelation 10. All the scriptures that pertain to this hour, we are not giving up our inheritance. We are not giving up our rights. We're holding on to our land. We're holding on to our message. So just so hell knows where we stand, here I stand. I will not give up my rights. I will not give up my Jesus. I will not give up the message of Malachi 4. It is our inheritance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just in case you were wondering. But in this, if Satan cannot try to get us to give up our inheritance by compromise, he will try to absorb the resilience of the unfolding of the word by our busy schedules. And so much trouble and so much heartache and so much difficulty just in life, of living just a normal, average, everyday, elect, seed, predestinated, seed of God life. So if he cannot take it from you 
by getting you to compromise or getting the ministry that you have confidence in to compromise, then he will try to do so as God unveils himself in the revealing of the word to try to busy us so much that we think about it less than we should. Because we're so absorbed with troubles. Now, many of you, your lives are not absorbed with making another million because you're pretty much accepted the fact that is not a reality for you. You realize you're not going to be in the Genesis World Book of Records. You're not going to be in the world's book of most famous people. You're not, most of you don't even think in those directions, but we just get so absorbed in everyday life that we're thinking about sickness and we're thinking about trouble and we're thinking about heartache and we're thinking about so much stuff and we are living in the greatest unfolding of the word of God the greatest era of time that has ever been since the dawn of creation so Satan's tactics then for many of us will be because he sees our resilience toward the word, our determination that we're not going to give up, that we will not bow or bend under the pressure, than it is to intensify the things around our lives every day to where we become so absorbed with just life itself. But I believe as we as the people of God are equipped for this hour, that God also helps us with a word. A word which will give us what we need not only in the era and the time frame that we're living in as far as the time, the most wicked, darkest age of all, but yet God will give us that which we need to help us sink together our soul with the light as it's being unfolded in the time we're living in. How many believe we're living in a wonderful time? In the sense of the word, as far as the world is concerned, it's a it's the most dreadful time that's ever been on the earth. But it depends on how our focus is and where we are looking at. Now we know that it was in the uh, sometimes the most dreadful times on the earth in the darkest hours is when Jesus appears. And it's during the times of great, great strain and heartache is when he chooses to make himself known in a more realistic way. Because it tends to be those times that will bring out something inside of of us that good times does not touch. It is under stress and strain and under the labor by which the real seed of God manifests who they are. And we know it was in this time of course that the appearing of the first appearance by the human name of Melchizedek appeared on the earth. It was that after Abram had went into a great battle and a great time of test and trial and yet believing God for all those things which God had promised and it was actually this the victory time that Melchizedek comes and serves to him the bread and the wine unfolding a future time when Christ would sit there with us as the people of God and we would sit around the table and again Melchizedek would feed to us the bread and wine now we know that he's timed these appearings of himself down through the time which he chose was the most appropriate no, definitely not a time that we would look at it when we look at the coming of the Lord Jesus to the earth as a baby. It was one of the worst times of the world. 
world, of course. It was a time of great chaos. The Roman Empire had come in and taken over, of course, for many of the people of the world. And they was under the dominance of that power. And there was all kinds of things going on. Religious world had run out. Political world had run out. Many folks' freedom had run out under the power that was over them. And yet during that time frame, Almighty God chose, this is the right time for me to make my appearance. It was the same way with the coming of the Holy Ghost. It was the same way in the days of Luther in the darkness of the church age that Catholicism had taken such a hold on the people and got them into such utter darkness and chaos that God moved on a man's heart by the name of Martin Luther. I thank God for Martin Luther. He certainly didn't see what we see, but he was the beginning of who I am. Praise God. Thank God for Wesley. Thank God for the forefathers that came before us. And yet God saved his greatest abundant outpouring for the end time when the world would be in the darkest time that it ever was. And God sent a prophet to the earth with an end time message. We did not need another scholar. We did not need another theologian. We did not need another man that would spend years of his life in his room and studying the Bible and come up with his own notes and give us a Branham Bible instead of a Schofield Bible. We did not need another Bible. We needed some eyes to be able to read that Bible and tell us what was in the pages. Now not write a new book and not replace the Bible but give meaning and give light and give substance to that which we had read and not understood for most of our lives. Now in this it is the reappearing again. I hope you understand it. It is the reappearing again of Melchizedek. Now he chooses to reveal himself in this advent of Melchizedek in a time of great trouble and great difficulty and at the coming of our Lord Jesus to the earth when a baby is going to be born it certainly would not have the same appearance as the Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. But yet it was the same person being revealed all the time just in another form. Now watch this in Melchizedek. We read this last night. We'll read it again. Now to the true revelation of Melchizedek comes into view what he was God the Word before he became flesh. So now notice he is God the Word before he became flesh. God the Word because he had to be. No one else could be immortal like him. I had father and mother. You did too. Jesus had father and mother. But this man had no father or had no mother. Jesus had a time he started this man didn't. Jesus gave his life. This man couldn't because he was lying. It's the self same man all the time. I hope God reveals it to you. The self same person all the time. Notice his title. King of righteousness. Hebrews 7 2. King of righteousness. King of peace which is king of shalom. The two kings, now watch in Hebrews 7, 2, king of righteousness, also the king of peace. Now he's two kings there. Now since he has come in the flesh and received his body up, Revelation 21, 16, he's called the king of kings. He's all three of them together, see? King God, king theophany, 
King Jesus. But before Jesus could ever be crowned with many crowns, before Jesus could ever become King of Kings, he must go to hell. He must come to the earth. He must suffer the penalty of death. And his soul must go to hell. Now listen. Jesus was so much man that he had a soul. He had a spirit. This is what he committed to God. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. It would not be fully becoming to him if he did not have a human spirit because our human spirit is what causes much of our problems. In our problems, imagination, memory, reason, and affection, all those five endless take place where in the human spirit. So for Jesus to have had a soul and to have a theophany in the place of human spirit and to have a human body, he could not be like us. I don't have a theophany this morning, not presently that I'm living it. So he had to have a soul, a spirit, and a body in order to be fully man. Now his spirit goes into the hands of God, his body goes to the grave, and his soul. Now remember who it is that's going down to hell. It is not King Theophany. It is not King God. It is Jesus, and he's not yet king. This is what makes the conquering so great. But he does not conquer as king. He conquers as son of God. Which had forfeited his sonship in the garden of Gethsemane. And he actually goes down to hell with the very soul of Jesus. The special created being of God. Praise God. He is Father, which is the first Son and Holy Ghost, the Spirit King of righteousness, the Spirit attribute, theophany King of peace, theophany, in the flesh, He was King of kings, same person. So a scapegoat, he bears our sins down into hell. There he delivers our sins as it were, and then he changes over into being the preacher man that's going to preach to the souls in prison. Then he goes down to the deepest recesses of hell and knocks on that sooty door of hell and takes the keys away from the devil. And then about four o'clock on Sunday morning, amen, he goes over to, to the door he's been waiting on, which is the third door, and he knocks on that door, and here comes Job, then Abraham, then Sarah, then David and Ezekiel, and so on and so on. And he enters in with them into this place called paradise. In paradise, he's not there to preach condemnation or judgment, but he's there to get them ready. And he rapped on the door. The word rap means to knock or it means to give a sharp vocal burst 
or the word wrapped, R-A-P-T, means to lift up higher. So he come and rapped on the door in order to get ready all of his children which was there waiting for him. Now, watch this. Let's read this again from last night. Matthew 27, 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Now, we know, of course, that it was not all, but many. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, then we enter into the cycle of where he must consummate the final phase of the work of high priest when he come to the mediatorial sacrifice. And this is what his birth is all about. His birth is not just a year to magnify a baby, magnify a baby. We're not worshiping a baby in a manger today. I don't know what you're worshiping, but I'm worshiping Christ in me. I'm not worshiping a God a million miles away. My God ain't a million miles away. He's right here this morning. That's right. So whenever he raises from the dead, now he must be here, of course, in order to the allotment of time that will come to pass between the waving of the sheaf and also the sacrifice or the atonement, and then he will ascend up right before the time of the Feast of Pentecost. And whenever he raises, of course, it's hard to believe, naturally it would be. It would be a phenomenal that would be difficult for us to believe naturally. But yet there there was, there was some of them who is able to comprehend that he has raised from the dead. Now they didn't fully understand it but yet they're there. So you know, if Peter and John they go, John runs ahead of Peter, he stoops down he finds him, Mary said he's raised from the dead so they go over there and they try to run in try to figure out what's going. Peter and John leave so they go back and when they go back St. John chapter 20 verse 14 and when she had thus said, now she's supposing she sees a man there and she thinks he's a gardener. Now Jesus was beat to worry. He looked like a pulp. Scars on him, all kinds of things on him. If he would have looked like that when Mary saw him, she'd have knew him. But he had been changed. So he's standing there with maybe a mattock in his hand or a hole or something maybe leaning up on it, you know, something like this, or just kind of with a hole in his hand. And she supposed him to be a gardener. She knew he wasn't a Roman soldier, so he must have at least looked like a gardener. Well, he was the original one. So she posed, supposed him to be a gardener, and then she must have turned away as he spoke to her. And then in verse 14, when she had thus said, she tells him, if you if you born away, my master, tell me where you've taken him, and I'll get him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back. So she turns away from him and then turns back. She turns away from him and then turns back. She turns away from him and then turns back. She turns away from him. No, I'm not stuck. She turns away from him and then she turns back. If you've turned away this morning, it's time for you to turn back. She turned herself back and saw Jesus standing. Oh. 
and knew not that it was Jesus. You mean Jesus could actually be right there before you in front of you and you wouldn't know it was him? And Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Now here she is. She's in this dilemma. And Peter's gone. John's gone. And she's kind of looking back and forth. I'm, I, don't, I don't know what to do. So Jesus said, woman, who are you looking for? Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. How tragic. She's weeping and crying. She could be rejoicing. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now, naturally, the human response would be your first impulse in this frenzy of joy to come and touch him, to grab a hold of him. I'm not going to let you go. So she starts toward him. And then he says this, touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my father. Now, why has Jesus got this touch me not attitude? Well, as high priest, on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in and out of the veil seven times, changing clothes each time. He was there to present the blood for the sins of the people. He could not be touched by Levites, by his wife, by his children. Our Lord has now raised from the dead. But there's something else he must do in heaven before he's touched by mere mortals. A human handprint cannot be on his garment or it will defile the procedure. So he chooses to reveal himself in order to get his family together for fellowship in the evening. Praise God. Amen. Now, as high priest, he must offer to God, as Paul picks it up for us in the book of Hebrews, and explains that he was like the high priest in the sense of offering the sacrifice and also the blood. But here, the Lord Jesus, he was both. He was high priest and lamb. So what does he offer? It's not what he takes in his hands. It is his hands. It is himself. So he goes before the invisible, eternal, immortal, only wise God. 
and he presents himself, which is what? A glorified body of a human being. You understand when you get your new body, it's a sign you don't need blood no more. As long as I'm here as a mortal, I still need the blood of Jesus to cover from my faults and my mistakes. But once I get my new body, I don't need no more blood. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not being respectful at all to the blood of the Lord Jesus. But it's only given for a time blood out of his body until my body finally matches his body. That I no longer need the chemistry out of his body. But my own body has been made like his. So Jesus speaks to Mary as the high priest of Leviticus 16. So he must take the sacrifice in the presence of God. He also speaks, now he's on his way. Because what's amazing is when you look over here when Matthew records it, Matthew says that the women grabbed a hold of his feet. Thomas, when he was in the room a few days afterwards, Thomas grabbed the hold of his hands. He had already ascended and come back. Notice, question and answer is 1961. A brother says that's a little bit difficult there where Jesus said in the first part of his resurrection, he said, touch me not. He had not yet ascended up. And then when he came in the room where Thomas was, he said, come over and thrust your hand in my side. The man said, that's right. He hadn't ascended up yet. That's the difference of the two. Where he told them not to touch him. And over there he told Thomas to come here. He had never yet ascended up. You see, he, for I have not yet ascended to my father. That's right. He wasn't to be touched until after his resurrection. He had come out from the earth, you see, come out from the earth and was walking among them and he had not yet ascended. But he told Mary, he said, don't touch me. She said, Rabboni, I said, don't touch me for I've not yet ascended to the Father. But I ascend to my God and to your God, to my Father and your Father. Then that night, that night, after he had done one up before God, he rose from the dead, went up before God, and come back. So Mary catches him in the interval before the ascension. And he tells her, go tell my brothers. Praise God that I am ascending. And Mary, tell them this. I'm ascending to my father and your father. My God and your God. I wonder if she comprehended what she's to repeat. I wonder if they comprehended what she said. Isn't it amazing? The Lord Jesus through the four gospels never refers to them as my brothers until this. Why the resurrection had consummated the finale of the family circle. It had brought it right back to where the brothers say, Amen. 
Lord. He could actually call them brothers. He called them brothers prior to them, but not my brothers. He is now ascending up as high priest to present himself to the invisible. He goes up and does the work in heaven and then he comes down that evening and starts having fellowship with the brothers. And you imagine he eats a little bit and drinks a little bit, puts his arms around them and they put their arms around him. And you imagine Mary standing there looking at him and saying, how in the world could that be? This morning I couldn't touch him and now Jesus maybe walks straight into her and grabs a hold of Mary and embraces her and they're trying to figure out how in the world, what in the world is going on? How could it have been? But he needed to consummate that which was necessary necessary for you you have a sacrifice brother sister don't you understand the Romans handled him the Jews handled him they all handled him in his burial but only God raised him from the dead and Mary never handled him the Romans never handled my sacrifice he ascends into the presence of God with a new body Also on the morrow after the Sabbath, according to Leviticus 23.10, the priest must wave the first fruits as an offering to the Lord. Leviticus 23.10 and 11. So the high priest takes the first fruits of the field and he waves it before the Lord. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. He is being waved in the presence of the invisible. So he comes up before the invisible God and here he is. And it's just said like this, that he was waving and said, I am he that was dead, but I am alive forevermore. I have been raised by you, O great invisible one. <laughs> Touch me not for I'm not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren or my brothers. My brothers. Jesus now calls his disciples by a new name. Their intimacy was reflected in stages. He first called them servants. Then as they got closer, he called them disciples. Then as they got closer, he called them friends. But now that they've got real close, he calls them brothers. <laughs> Praise God. He gives them a new link to the very heart of God. For he proceeded forth and came from the very heart of God. And he links them by his death, burial, and resurrection. He's not just my God. On the cross, he said, my God, my God. Isn't it amazing you don't find him referring to them in the way that he does here now, but prior to his death, burial, and resurrection, your God, my Father and your Father, look at him still claiming his affinity to us. My God and your God, my Father. Why? Because the invisible was the Father of the body of the Lord Jesus. As I said last night, Jesus couldn't be his own father, but God could become his own son. Hallelujah, Amen, Hallelujah to God. Amen. 
You and I can't do that. We can't take our word and make a man out of it. But the eternal good. Can you imagine if we could catch our words and take our words and make a man? We couldn't do it. But he did. Notice Romans 8.29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many. Not friends, not servants, not disciples. Brothers. Hebrews 2.11, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. While I sing praise unto thee. Let's jump down here now to Christ the mystery of God revealed. If you haven't listened to this in a while, probably do good to listen to it about 3,000 times. And uh, and maybe you'll understand a little bit more of it. You're talking about a paradox. The prophet said the first thing was that God wanted to reveal himself to people. He couldn't do it as great Jehovah God who covered all space, time, and eternity. All space, time, and eternity. He could not. He's too great to ever be revealed to people because it would be too mysterious. How could that great being that never did begin But after you went beyond the cycle of hundreds of billions and trillions and trillions of years of light space. Now a light year is the distance that a photon of light will travel in the space of a year. When the World's Fair was held in Chicago, what was it, 1893, I think, 1893, 1896, was the first time that they had made sensors to be able to catch photons of light. And they actually aimed it toward the sun, and then when they took the cover off of this sensor to be able to receive the light, and the light of the sun hit this sensor, and it turned on the lights of the world's fair. And they say that light, when it had left the sun in order to strike the earth, was years and years and years before that time. But the earth was just now catching. Amen. Scientists say they currently can look back 13.8 billion light years. So that's 13.8 billion times 
5.9 trillion miles is the way light travels in one year. So a photon of light starts right here, and by a year's time, it will travel 5.9 trillion miles in the way that we would measure. So you take those billions of years and multiply it by 5.9. Now here the prophet goes beyond them. Now I want you to understand, whenever he says this in 1963, they're just seeing 120 million years of light space. So as far as they know, 120 million years is the end of it. But he says the cycle of hundreds of billions and trillions and trillions. And there's probably folks sitting there that read a science book and thought that made them a scientist. That's why some of the message folks are. They read a message book and think they're a preacher. That's why some of you are on Google. You read, you go to Dr. Google and you're ready to doctor the whole world. So you imagine there's sometimes a trillion. Why, there ain't no such a thing as trillions and trillions. Oh, but now they've caught up, ain't they? Hundreds of billions and trillions of life space on out into the infinite or infinite into eternity and a great creature that was all of that, if that wasn't enough, was all of that and still is. So as far as them with their telescopes and all that sort of thing, looking back into parasects, P-A-R-A-S-E-C-S-C, which is something, a measure of time that's so far beyond our clocks and watches that they've had to start inventing new names. That's how far they can look back. 13.8 billion years. Oh, I forgot to ask you, what was y'all's troubles that was so bad you couldn't take care of this morning? But now let's look at real greatness. But what he wanted to do, he loved fatherhood. For he was a father. And the only way he could express it was, so the father became his own son. This is the mystery of the Godhead. He loved fatherhood, so he couldn't go above fatherhood. So he must intentionally say, why a son cannot be his own father. A son would have to go beyond his own capacity to ever try to become his own father, and he could never do it. But a father could condescend and take his logos and project out of himself and become his own son. (laughs) He loved fatherhood, for he was a father. And the only way he could express it was to become a son, a man. Now if you look this up and you got your old version of the table, you'll look this up and it'll actually say, become the son of man. I looked at it yesterday, but if you listen to what he said, actually he didn't say become the son of man. He said become a son, a man. That's the reason Jesus kept saying, Oh, why didn't Jesus keep saying, Son of God, Son of God? Because God had already become Son of God out of the eternal in the form of the Logos. 
But that son of God must become a son of man. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's the reason Jesus kept saying the son of man. See, they didn't know what he was talking about. I understand your pain, Lord. I don't think they understand what I'm talking about. He was talking about me that they couldn't get it. And the congregation says... See, he wanted to express himself. That was his, one of his great threefold purposes was to express himself, identify himself with human beings. The more humans I meet in this world, the more I like dogs and cats and coons and deer and bear. I can make a whole lot more sense out of a coon than I can some people. Come on, don't sit there and look at me like you're the Almighty and you understand everybody. You don't. But he wanted to relate to human beings. Why human beings? To reveal himself in Christ. Now can we take a journey this morning? Let's go back in the sphere of the eternal When there is no time, there is no angels, there's not one speck of light, there's no photons, there's no atoms, there's no molecules, there's nothing yet that can be measured or even seen. We know the angel that led Moses was the angel of the covenant, which was Christ, the Son of God, or the Logos that came out of God was the Son of God. Now I hope you understand that could not die on the cross. But that could come from the eternal and get in the body of a Son of Man which was a special creation of God. Amen. And the anointing could leave him in the garden of Gethsemane and it could be that that would carry our sins. It was not King God. It was not King Theophany that conquered hell. It was the soul of Jesus Christ. Lord have mercy children. Don't you understand what in you is going to conquer this age? What's going to conquer hell? Another soul. Another soul, another soul, another soul, another soul, another soul. It ain't going to be King God. It ain't going to be King Theophany. It ain't going to be you in a glorified body. It's your soul, soul born of heaven, that it will look hell in the face and say, under my feet, under my feet, Satan. So he first was God, Jehovah. Let's just picture now as a little drama so you can get it. Let's see coming out of space where there's nothing. Let's make it a little white light. Like a mystic light. Like a... Ah, so halo time has reappeared. It must mean the Logos is here somewhere. 
that went out of God in the beginning. Now we have when time broke. This is the beginning of the creation of God. God giving birth to a son. A visible image to reflect the invisible God. So if the invisible would ever look like anything, this would have been what he would have looked like. <laughs> that was the Son of God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean before Jesus? This is the Son of God. <laughs> I know you don't remember it, but when he come out, you come out with him. Because if you're the bride words, you've got to be there in the word. And in the beginning was the all the word. That was the son of God that came out of the bosom of the father. That was what was in the beginning was the word. So in the beginning was the son of God. But not a man. Not a human. So out of this great thing which no one has ever seen or ever will, something goes into existence. And it was the Son of God. But not a baby. Not a man. Not a middle-aged man. Not an old man. It wasn't a man. It was the Word. You follow me? I mean, sort of. Okay, as long as you're sort of with me. Notice that he says, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh and dwell among us. In the beginning was God, then out of God came the Logos, a part of God that went out of God. Can you imagine what people in that congregation must have thought? This sermon now is Cleveland, Ohio, August the 15th, 1950. You all are looking at me like I'm from Mars this morning and we're 2019 and you've been hearing these things for years. Can you imagine how them people there must have looked at him? After all, this man don't have but a seventh grade education. Well, he might not have had much education, but he sure had a lot of revelation. teaches us that the Logos went out of God. For I might say the God becoming his first body form when the Logos went out of God. Let's, let's look at it. What did it look like? No one has seen the Father at any time. Nowhere. Never did. And never will. But then the Logos that went out of him. Now this is the part that said, I want to be a human. This is the part that said, I'm a healer, I'm a savior, I'm a redeemer, I'm El Shaddai, I'm Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tiskanu. I'm all of this. But how can I ever come from this to come down to them? Amen. 
that logos that went out of him become a little halo of light. Again, he says in 1953, when he made everything and it looked nice and good to him, now he said, let us, plural, make man, plural, in our own image. What was he? There is a supernatural being. There is the one that could not be seen. God the Father never was seen. Never will be seen. He's all nature. There he is and now here's the son which is the Logos which went out of him made in his image. So if we'd have been there looking he would have been right there and we couldn't have seen him unless he took on a form that would make him visible. So all of a sudden, out of the very core, the very heart of this being, comes out a little halo. And that little halo starts flickering. Just playing around the Father's door. What door? The door of eternity. So the halo stepped out of eternity. And when he did, there was time. And ain't no wonder Peter and him got so excited on the day of Pentecost. They received their portion of Father God. <laughs> that little lick of fire. Oh, how happy you ought to be today if you've got yours. Notice, here's the Son, which is the Logos, which went out of him, made in his image, supernatural being, that went out in the beginning. Again, he says, it's God unfolding himself. He came out of nature, coming down into the flesh of his Son. God, come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Logos, that went out in the beginning. How back in the beginning, no one could see God. Then the Logos came out. Then God manifested Himself down in man. Man sinned. Then God came down and revealed Himself in flesh, taking away sin, return back, come back again to live in people and talk to them like He did Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. So here is that baby laying down Bethlehem. Oh, people all this next few days will be singing their Christmas carols and their Christmas cantatas and all this and that and the other. And for the most part, even Christianity don't even have a clue. Because most of them still believe that God is three people. They're coexistent, co-eternal. And they believe that God looked over to the second man and come in and said, would you care to go down and do this? I really don't want to get my hands dirty. If God sent another person other than himself, he was totally unjust in doing so. God didn't send another person. He came himself in the form of his sonship. Lord Jesus, out of the existence of the Father, 
went the locust friend. I hope, I hope that God helps you today to see and eradicate this Trinitarian idea in your mind that the Son of God was a human. He was the Word first. Then come into humanity. Out of the existence of the Father went the Logos, which was the Son, which was the Theophany, which was the body of the great Jehovah God. Went forth in a celestial body. That's the Logos. The Word spoke out of them great fountains of life and went forth. And there was the Theophany, which was God made in to Word. Now, as I said, he can take his word and make a man out of it. All right, now I'm going to see if I can do it with my words. Let me make a man. He don't even make a good stick, man. But he could take his words. And create a being that was an extension of himself, not another person. One of these days it'll hit you. Then you'll realize you are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. That actually you're not another person him either. You're him expressed. In a lower form. Wonder why John would write this, Brother Terry, in 1 John 5 and 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father. The Word. Oh, John, now how come you didn't say Son? He did. In original format. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are three. That's Trinitarian concept. These three are. Well, how come he didn't say son? He did in Logos format. The Father, the Word. So John goes back before Jesus' humanity and grabs him and pulls him up into 95 AD and said, just in case you're wondering, he's not another person. He's the same person. Revelation 19, 12, his eyes were a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns on a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Can I have a little bit more time? He was God, the Logos that went out of God. When he began to brood upon the earth, brought forth marine life. The Spirit of God, the Logos, the Word, which God said, let there be. And there went the Logos. So the first let there be was He Himself in a habitable form. Let there be me. And there He was. He became his own son.
So what if a man could father a son without mixing in the womb of a woman and mixing the DNA and the chromosomes and so on and so on? What would it be? Another reflection of himself. What if a man could borrow, just simply borrow a woman's womb and plant his seed inside of there and be able to impart both seed and egg? Then what would this be? It would be another one just like him. Then if that son could do the same thing, what would he father? More just like him. (laughs) I just preached to you the mystery of the Godhead. That's what God done. God never used none of Mary's DNA. But God created the seed and the egg right there in the womb. And he said, this is me. And on the day of Pentecost, that same Lord Jesus said, I don't want your ideas, Peter. I don't want your ideas, John. But he said, I want to do the same thing my father did. This is me. Brother Donnie, I'm praying for you because I, I think you've gone off the deep end. <laughs> well, thank you. That's a great compliment. <laughs> Notice this. Finally, paragraph 80. Upon the earth came the genuine image of God himself again, which was God, the Logos, made flesh and dwelt among us. But let's not stop at paragraph 80. For 81 includes you and I. Now that same Logos has a part. He has got a bride. Your union to deity is not just your body being changed like his. But you unite in your soul first. I'm just going to say it. You and Jesus are soulmates. Lord God. You've seen me do it many times. As I stand here, will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? Will you live together after God's holy ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love her, honor her, cherish her, keep her in sickness and in health so long as you both shall live? And he nervously says, I do. Will you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? Will you honor him, cherish him, obey? And the women really, whenever they have to say that. As long as you both shall live. They're joining their words. They're being married by the law of Tennessee. I have the authority to marry them. But the marriage, The marriage will only be consummated when they become one flesh. 
whether it's that night or a week later or a month later, we have pledged our troughs each to the other. We have given and exchanged rings. He gave, we received. <laughs> it was the wedding band of unmerited grace that was slipped on our finger before the foundation of the world. We have exchanged our vows. We are now waiting for our marriage to be consummated with our Lord Jesus. How, Brother Dale? In our flesh. When we will become one. When my flesh will lose its identity as a Reagan. When you will lose your identity as a walker or as a bab or a horn. And you will be a God man. Or a God woman. Eternal life in a human body. Let me stop before I start talking in a language that none of us understand. Glory to God. That same Logos has got a bride. Wow. That same Logos. We'll pick it up again, but let me just read it to you in Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. God, who in sundry times and divers manners, speaking time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his logos, his son, his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Jesus with a spirit, Jesus with a body, Jesus with a soul. Jesus' spirit consented in the Garden of Eden to take your sin. His soul is in perfect harmony. Now his body must obey the consent of his soul. His body goes to the grave. His soul goes to hell. And he conquers hell. And starts ascending out. Not in a glorified state. He's not glorified when he's in hell. His soul is there conquering. As the word. Praise God. When God raises him up, can't you see why he gave him a name that was above every name? This is God's third fold of kingship. King God, King Theophany, King Jesus. And he exalts King Jesus, his own title, his own son, his own body. This will be the millennium title. This will be the eighth day being that we worship. This is why the Father said he'll sit there. The prophet said he'll sit there on the Father's throne. The Father will hover over him in the eighth day. And he'll be our Joseph. It'll be the visible image of the invisible God that we will worship through eternity. It's himself 
in a relative form of atoms, light meters, molecules, and time. There will be his children all around him in eternal life bodies, never aging, never get sick, never get weary. He knows how we are as humans. We all want to touch, don't we? You see a sister, maybe your sisters, they seem someone, someone that you hadn't seen in a while. You want to hug their neck. You brothers, you want to shake their hand or hug their neck or whatever it is. There's something about touch. And he wanted to touch us, but if he did, it'd kill us. So he said, I'll become my own son. And in this act of condescension, I'll condescend not to be an angel because an angel would still scare him. Any of y'all ever seen an angel? An angelic being? Any of y'all? It can be very frightening and very scary. Read the men in the Bible. What it done to them. But God says, I'll go down beneath that. I'll become like them. I'll have fingernails. Can you imagine Almighty God having fingernails? Almighty God having skin, bones, tissue. Praise God. And he wants your bones and skin and tissue wrapped around his. Praise God. Paul says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, by whom he appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he hath made the worlds. So by his son, not a boy, not a man. But by his word. So the Logos goes out of God. That was the birth of sonship. Then God takes his word. And says let there be. Let there be. Let me scan over here just a minute. Find these figures and read them to you. The great expanse of the universe. The observable universe appears to go back in time, just back in time, 13.8 billion years. But beyond what we could see, there could be much, much more. Some astronomers also think that we may live in a multiverse. That would make sense for a God of music who loves songs. A multiverse where there would be other universes like ours contained in some sort of larger entity. You say, why in the world would he want to do it? Just to prove he could. So at 5.9 trillion miles in a light year, it is estimated that there are, now look at this number, one, with 24 zeros after it. That is one septillion stars. That's in the observable universe. Now you understand what's happened is, as Galileo and many of those men begin to look on, even down in our time frame, even when Brother Branham was here, when they looked out through the telescope, through their telescopes of that day, they thought they were seeing a star. But as their eyes got brighter, and their eyes got clearer, they realized they wasn't looking at a star, 
They was looking at another galaxy which had possibly 500 million to a billion stars just in that galaxy. Then what they thought was another star beyond that star was another galaxy and another galaxy. Friends, is it any wonder that this is happening in this day? We used to look at the message of Malachi 4 and what did we see? Brother Branham, we saw one star. But the closer we look, the more we're seeing more. We're seeing Christ. We're seeing the bride. Amen. And we're seeing another galaxy and another and another. Yet on a clear dark night, earth's sky reveals only about 3,000 stars to the naked eye. So if you'd be able to stand there and however long it would take you, and you could count 3,000 stars and say, Wow, what I've seen tonight. Really? You ain't even got out of your front yard. <laughs> Our little old constellation where we are in, in, in the earth, we live in this cul-de-sac way back here in the back. And we're so small. But I love what one of the Christian astronomers said. That apparently, he who made it wanted the visible part to be extremely visible from this little tiny dot in the universe. Because what's amazing is when they go to the moon and look back, it don't look the same. When they go to Mars, when they go to Jupiter, wherever that they will wind up going, and they'll look back, it won't look quite the same. The pictures of the Virgin and Leo the Lion and Sagittarius and all that will not be looking quite the same. Why? He made it visible from his choice spot in the universe. You imagine all of those septillion stars. And you take Dog Star and many of those other stars that make the earth look like a speck of dust. Why in all of that universe would he choose that tiny speck of dust and say, there is where I want to live. And he said, one day, I will take from that speck of dust my own human body. He said, Brother Don, is there life on other planets? I really don't know. But I do know this. We wind up getting the king in the end. Because this is the future home of the heavenly bridegroom. Let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, the world could not have known that night on that clear night, that little town of Bethlehem, they could not have comprehended what it was. The poor shepherds outside that night watching their flocks. When the angel came down and began to sing to them. Praise God. And they said unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior 
which is Christ the Lord. Praise God. Lord Jesus, here we are some 2,000 years later still reaping the benefits of that advent. I pray you'd pull back traditional veils off of our hearts today, Lord, that we can see clearly you. And as we see you, it will further unfold to who we are, Lord, and who you want us to be. Would you minister to the needs of your people today, Lord, I pray. May we recognize, glory be to God. May we recognize who's in our city today. The Lord Jesus himself. The Logos has a bride. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We magnify your name today, Lord Jesus. You love him, saints, with all your heart. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the King? Just worship him a little bit. Sing it for us. I know you got lunch and you got this plan and that plan and all that, but let's just take a few minutes, if you would, to worship him before we go. What a mighty God Jesus is. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus. What a mighty God. What a mighty God. Jesus. I know he is.
Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you today, Lord God. Hallelujah, how great thou art. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Can we just sing him one more before we go? Then sings my soul, I say.
grave. 